live for another episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, got to plug our main sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. I'm here, KYT, with Robert Lombardi. What's up? How's it going? And Andy Rodrop in the house. I keep trying to say football Peters in my head. That's excellent. Fresh off, uh, again, we have to have, uh, this is a recurring thing where we couldn't get the GP champion in the house, so we had to get one of his best friends, Andy. So thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being available, my man. Well, when, when Kale's not here, you got to send the, his representative. I'm his legal representative. <laughs> After all this money, he can finally afford me. <laughs> so congratulations to Kale for trouncing uh, an impressive top eight. An impressive top eight. He had, he had to beat some tough competition in the top eight. He had to beat Sigris in the top four. Had to beat what a lot of people consider the, the best player, highest ranked player right now, Seth Manfield, in the finals uh, where the commentators were just ooing and aahing over Seth's deck before the match. So I was, I was chatting with Andy, who was on, on scene. I was like, man, I was worried. I'm like, is our boy going to get smoked here? Um, but he prevailed with a very aggressive deck, had some good aggressive draws, and, and took it down, which locked him up for silver once he walks in those Pro Tour, tour doors. So, wow. And not to mention, he was on a previous show of ours, previous episode, you can check that out, right after he had become the, the Canadian national champion, uh, you know, after the first new nationals format. So it's amazing to see him like end the year, like right after winning, being the national champion. Now he's a GP champ as well. How ecstatic are you, Andy? Uh, it, it's pretty exciting to see like uh, one of your best friends just prove that it's not just a one-time thing that he, he really is at least like he's got to be pretty good to win the nationals and a GP. Um, I had praised uh, I, when, when you talk about kale, it reminds me of me talking about Hayne back in the day and, and you're like messaging me how you called kale. Like he's the sickest limit player, you know, but when he was on the show, it did seem like he, he prepped that much for the tournament and he crushed it. So, so did you, it was like just testing a few games with you and that was it. What was his prep? Did he prep with you for this tournament? And uh, why do you think he's, he's so good limited if he, he, he doesn't prep? So, so he's just like, uh, I don't know how, how to describe it, but once you've uh, played Magic for long enough, you, it's not as necessary to just like play the thousand, a hundred games or whatever. Like you get the feel for the format. You just consume a lot of content. And I know he consumes a lot of content. And he plays the format quite a bit. Like, he practiced a lot for Nationals locally. We talk about the format all the time. And he just kind of knew exactly what he wanted to do. He just he knows all the tricks every single time. He has, a, a, like, a solid pick order and isn't afraid to, to make the, the tough decisions in the drafts, like, uh, to switch gears. Like, I watched him completely switch, switch decks in uh, his win-and-in draft. And his, he's just very good at analyzing when to switch. And that, that kind of stuff is super hard because with the pressure on, you're like, oh, I might, like, I don't want to switch. I don't want to get stuck in three colors and then ruin my draft. But, but he's able to analyze that stuff just from a lot of experience. He's been playing a Magic a long time. He's like third or fourth in all-time Planeswalker points in Canada. Wow. So, so anything specific about this uh, tournament, Ixalan? Did he just moto-draft? Did you just moto-draft? Uh, a lot with him? Uh, well, no. Uh, 
<laughs> we didn't uh, we didn't do too much practice like uh, of actually playing games. We talked about the format a lot, and uh, basically I would just like be scouring cards. I'm like, what do you think of this card? Is it playable? Like, wh- when is it playable? When is it actively a good card you should be picking, or when is it just a filler card? Like, is this card that specifically looks like it's good in just like dinosaur decks? Is it good outside of dinosaur decks? And just a lot of talking. That's kind of how we tried to figure out the format after having played quite a bit for nationals and uh, just in between a little bit. But leading up to the tournament, we didn't play nearly as much as, as before, to be honest. It was just more talking and finalizing our like final thoughts on the format. Like, did you, you know what his approach was like heading into the top eight draft? Uh, were you basically on the same page of like being really aggressive and synergistic? Like, were you surprised that he ended up being uh, red, white, super aggressive? No, there's just uh, there's some really good red, white, aggressive commons. And like in particular, there's the, the two mana red creature that pumps for one in a red. That's a two, two. That card's just like really good, and it's a common. There's the three mana two three hammer skull that taps when it attacks. It's crazy good at common, and all the tricks. The tricks are super good in this format, and being aggressive is super good in the format because the removal's so bad and it's like kind of expensive. So if people are paying five mana to kill your three drop because it's what's killing you, then it's it's not it's not that big of a deal, right? And then. I saw him like in the finals, yeah, and Dental, one of the most awesome in commons that I had the pleasure of playing in my team's sealed deck in GP Providence, the, the Vanguard, who is just like impossible to block. Um, yes, that, that deck has no answers to that card. because <laughs> Siggy had them all, and he just, when, when I saw Kale's opening hand, I knew it had that, and it had the 2 3 flying dinosaur rare. I, I, was, I was pretty hyped up because I know Seth can't kill that thing. <laughs> okay. Um, then, but Seth had, I think the one thing, were you able to watch, uh, were you watching on stream or, or like trying to watch from far away? Uh, I was, uh, like five feet away the, the entire finals. Okay. So the, so the only thing in the, in the finals that I think the commentators were, were surprised with was, um, maybe in the final turn, Seth w- like was aggressive, uh, with the wanting, wanted scoundrels instead of wanting to trade it, it seemed. And then, like, he even swung back, uh, like, swung with it aggressively. Uh, do you know what's what was going on there? So I remember. Okay, I remember that turn quite well because uh, I remember Seth not blocking in a really important turn of the game. And so, so from Seth's point of view, he has to trade his creature for uh, Kale's four two, which he had another way to trade within his hand. And Kale has two mana up, so a combat trick gets him out of it, which he knows Kale has. And also, if uh, if a trade just happens, Kale gets is it uh, one or two treasures, and then just has the ability to cast another spell, and like could just be. Imagine if he casts another four mana spell or a three mana spell, after that trade happens, then Kale's still infinitely far ahead. So maybe like from Seth's point of view, it was kind of a losing battle there anyway, and maybe it was going to try and find a different way to win. Okay, I was thinking like, well. Hindsight being twenty twenty, because like as the audience, we got to, we got to see um, Kale's hand, and I don't remember. I don't remember Kale having like a, a four drop, and it was just like it felt like we were getting to the stage of the game where, um, well, I, I felt like Kale's deck was super aggressive, so that like giving him like two treasures wasn't that uh, important. So that, as the 
as someone that got to see all the cards in everyone's hand, it's like, why doesn't he just trade it? And then, but then he attacks with it later, right? He doesn't even like uh, to put Kale down to like ten or something. See, like uh, in those spots, I think a lot of people don't attack enough there. Like you have to understand, if if you're not going to block, you're losing out on a ton of damage by not attacking. And he put Kale to ten, right? That's pretty low. And with the way the Vanguard was, the Vanguard was, I think, a three-turn clock at that point because he was on seven or four-turn. So it was not that unreasonable that uh, Seth could find a way to kill him. Yeah, yeah, I was scared for Kale. I was like, does he have, like, some threaten effect and then can crack back for 10? So I was a little worried. Like, I wasn't like, this is in the bag. I'm like, okay, Seth has, has this plan to, uh, likely has a plan to, to draw into certain outs to, to help him end the game. Um, so, but like watching it was pretty uh, awesome, and like uh, even in uh, game two, game two was exciting just because Kale looked like he was gonna win. I even messaged you, "Are we gonna do it?" And then even the commentators mentioned how I think they mentioned he was likely like seventy percent to win or something, or so, someone in chat said that, or seventy to ninety percent to win. Their percentages. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 advantage bar wasn't there, uh, but. Seth ended up having like the key removal spells, and then eventually Kale ran out of steam as he as he like flooded out and or drew threats that were just way too small at, at that period of the of the game. But man, exciting set of three games. And uh, as for you, how did your tournament go, my friend? Uh, so I, I got kind of Ixaland with my seal pool. My seal pool was okay. The, the the what I mean when I say is I got Ixaland is that I had vampire payoffs. No cheap vampires. I had um, I had a lot of uh, the black pirates that want you to have artifacts with zero ways to make a treasure in the black cards. And I got s- just stuck playing a blue-white control deck that had a treasure map, uh, secure the wastes, and um, the, the wrath dinosaur. And so, like, my deck ended up being okay. I started 5-1, but lost three straight to miss day two. But honestly... It, the deck was like a 7-2 to 5-4 deck, so it was within the realm of possibility. Yeah, settle the wreckage, yeah. So it was within the, the realm of the possibility for, for the deck to, to finish with that record. Like, I got pretty lucky in some of my wins, so it was, it was okay. But uh, uh, both of my other car mates day, made day two, and I think they finished X5, X5 or something, but... <laughs> So unexciting, unexciting for you. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Brian had a great start. I think he was start five zero or six zero. Ultimately fizzled out with a six three. Uh, sad. Um, his plan uh, on our last episode, his ultimate plan of getting lucky, did not really pan out. I guess did not. Uh, <laughs> it did not work, Rob. <laughs> He probably did get lucky, but maybe he he just relied on it too much. He thought with a five zero start that he also maybe didn't need to play well either, and then started spewing at the end. It looks like <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, is there anything else I wanted to ask you about Kale? Eh, not for now. I guess uh, we'll wait once he crushes the next PT. Does, does this cue for uh, this cues for Bilbao? Right? No, he's for Dominaria. So he's queued for a pro tour that's like six months away. Oh, okay, interesting. What in the world, right? 
It's the Pro Tour in February, and this doesn't qualify for it. And Dominaria is not the team Pro Tour, or it is the team Pro Tour? It is the team Pro Tour. Wait, uh, I think he's... I'm not sure. I actually can't remember. It might be the team Pro Tour. That's what happens, Watsy, when none of your plans make sense. <laughs> I feel like Dominaria would be the team Pro Tour if there was, if there was one, since uh, like yeah. the set or whatever. Righty. Uh, we, we, we signed a contract. We brought... Uh... For, for this one topic, we got John Medina on again, but due to uh, the feedback in the First Strike Nation, he's not allowed to use the word. He can't say the word finance, money, or currency. That's that's uh, that's the condition of his appearance. <laughs> we have to come here because one of the hot topics on Reddit today was the announcement of the final dual decks on the mothership dual decks L's versus. Inventors, which is to come out next April 6, 2018. Uh, that's the final entry. Um, and 1999 comes up with the usual stuff. I actually don't know how successful uh, that was because that was something that I didn't... I bought one uh, to try to, to get people in the game and it didn't really work out. Uh, but now they're, they're coming out with something called Challenger Decks. Now, according to the article, on the Mothership Challenger Decks are your on-ramp to standard these four individual 75 card decks are geared towards standard play for the friday night magic player and forged out of some of the most powerful strategies in standard each challenger deck comes with a complete 60 card main deck and a 15 card cyborg is intended to be playable and competitive at a local level right out of the box boom (laughs) will have been previously printed in standard and are standard legal additionally each challenger deck will contain the following a box uh carry 75 cards spin down life counter Book reference guy, whatever. This also comes out uh, April 6, 2018, with an MSRP of $19.99. So $30. And Rob, let's start with you. Why do you think this is another crap idea? Which crap idea? Sunsetting the dual decks or starting the challenger decks? I, I would imagine you would be for sunsetting the dual decks. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're. Uh... Your dual decks are are such greats as elves versus inventors. Like, who would be walking by this? That's like, ah, oh, yes, finally, elves versus inventors. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I need to get. It's just, what are the inventors? Are those dwarves? Like, what is it? What's that? <laughs> it's is probably it the same people who like there? unstable. Uh, I would be very surprised if the people who like unstable would like this product because this product <laughs> used to be for no one. Um, I feel like they knew it was going to die and it looks like they've put zero effort into it because it just doesn't even, uh, I don't know that the dual deck series could have been something good. I feel, but you'd need to really put thought into it and uh, they clearly haven't. And now it is dead. So th- that's fine. I guess if they don't want to spend their energy there, it's better to not have that product slot than to, um, you know, just do a very poor job as it, you know, you know, for that, for that offering or whatever. As for challenger decks, this is like modern event decks light, but for standard, I guess, <laughs> with like a really weird branding name, the challenger deck. I feel like standard event deck could have been uh, used uh, to be more descriptive. I'm not sure whether the challenger part of it makes sense to me, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what they put in these lists. Like for thirty dollars, it's can't be. Great, I suppose. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I don't know. These will either be, like, unplayable <laughs> or they'll ruin the prices of a bunch of, like, uh, really high-profile cards. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't see these uh, being a success either. It's weird. <laughs> I feel like Hasbro just like, guys, you need to make more money. They're like, ah, uh, <laughs> standard. People aren't playing standard. We need to get them back into standard. How can we do that? Uh, we'll give them a deck. A challenger cool. deck. Cool. A challenger deck. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> okay. A new challenger approaches. <laughs> I feel like it's something you would buy and play against. Like you'd, you'd goldfish against a deck that has the, the brand name, a challenger deck. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyways. We shall see what's in it. Um, if what's in it is sweet and it makes sense, after we actually see the product, I can get over the terrible naming. Uh, but as it stands now, I feel like this product is set up to fail. But only time will tell. John, uh, John, I imagine you're a bit, hopefully, more more enthusiastic, and you're taking the other side on this. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I will say this: uh, you know, if somebody goes out and uh, they don't know anything about magic and they buy a dual deck. And then their friends say, oh, yeah, you should come and play the tournament with us at the, at the store. I've seen this happen before, actually. They get there with their dual deck, and then they're like, oh, yeah, well, none of that's legal here. You can't, you can't play that standard, right? And so <laughs> they're like, they got their elf deck all sleeved up, and they're like, oh, I can't play? Well, that's terrible. So I think that, uh, that helps that problem, right? If the only decks that are being sold are standard legal or, like, modern legal, something that you can actually play in a tournament, because, like, the dual decks were just totally casual, right? They're, they had no, like, tournament uh, structure to them. So I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like it's a good thing in that, re- in that regard. I, I don't really know, you know, what, what's in them, what, what is it going to be like. I know that it's, it's part of the, the job of the play team or the, the, new, the new team that, uh, that Gavin Verhey is part of. Um, you know, he's the one who kind of introduced them at the end of the article saying, look, we, we, re- we changed our process. We're, we're testing these things much closer to the release so that they look like decks that are in standard, you know. And uh, they, they said they'll, they'll, they'll contain some rares and, may, and maybe up to two mythics. And so I can imagine things like, uh, I guess if you look at the new uh, standard metagame, you know, you have that like um, Drake Haven cycle deck, right? If you look at that deck, you'll see there's there's not a lot of mythics in that deck. There's uh, two mythics in the sideboard, uh, which are the um, the Gear Hulk, uh, the Blue Gear Hulk. And so I could imagine a deck like that, you know, where they can, you know, throw eight, you know, ten rares in there, and then uh, and then like a mythic or something like that. I don't know what have Planeswalkers in it, uh, you know, but but things like Fetal Push. Like these decks will definitely have fatal push uh, if there's gonna if they're gonna be a black deck, you know. So you can like, I'm not gonna say anything about finance or money or anything like that, but you know, do the math, right? I mean, these decks they have to have the removal that's in standard, right? And so, and and fatal push is a very easy, is a it's just an easy button to push for wizards to say, oh, you know, put it in there. Uh, were, were you a fan of the original uh, dual decks, uh, John? And, and trivia question: Which year do you think uh, the first dual deck came out? Uh, I wasn't a fan of them uh, personally. Like I, I never was drawn to get them. I bought uh, a dual deck one time when I played with my brothers and sisters. Like I was out in California visiting them. They wanted to know like what I was into, 
And I was like, okay, let's go get some dual decks and we'll play, right? And then I just left the decks with them. I was like, I don't really want them, you know. Um, but when did the first one come out? Uh, let's see. I want to say something like uh, 10 years ago, probably. Probably like uh, 2008, maybe. Man, you were so close. What, I thought you nailed it. 10 years ago, 2007 with elves versus goblins. As, as yes, a- it's close, man. <laughs> um. Yeah, I never got it. I, like, I bought them because I thought it would be like cool to have just two decks ready that were like meant to be played against each other. But I think that the replay value um, is not that high. It's just going to get old really fast um, unless you choose to build on top of these decks. But then, like you, as you said, like you can't bring them to tournaments. So I always struggled with um, what's the best, quickest way to get someone into magic and honestly uh rob i think this might be it this might be it for me because it, i hate it to be like oh just play the, the app the the duels app or whatever or um yeah i think just that having them play a deck in a more simple format than modern where they constantly see at least like the same cards maybe allow them to learn a little bit quicker and allow like they can just play every friday night which is uh they have a legal deck for every friday night and you know, I've been to many different stores at, at for FNM. Not everyone has like the strongest deck there at all, and maybe maybe it might be somewhat competitive. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts on challenger decks? Um, I actually like I like the sound of it overall. I hate I hate the name. The name seems ridiculous to me. But uh, so if you look at the current standard. With the exception of a, a few cards, like Team or Energy is not that expensive. Like if you just have a bad mana based Team or Energy, it's not that expensive. Or if you have uh, like uh, the blue white uh, approach deck, like uh, John John said, or the the cycling deck. Or um, even if you think of Last Standard, there's like the Mono Black Zombies decks. Like outside of the Relentless Deads or something else, it's like pretty cheap. And you can, if they can make these decks like competitive enough that they're not just going to O five every single F and M. Then I think it's the, the, the right step because uh, people wanting to win when they go to these tournaments to encourage them to keep coming back, but also not wanting to spend a lot of money. Like kids, this is what kids want to do to come in to start playing standard. And the thought that their deck could, like they could go buy a deck and it not be illegal for their tournament that their friends invited them to is a big feel bad. And trying to eliminate like feel bads for kids first or second experience with magic is is pretty important so if done correctly which i'm sure it's not going to be done correctly completely but um the the idea is is in the right spot to to build standard and get people to go to their local stores to play especially if like they have some instructions with how to like advertise it with local vendors like let them know like hey you can come to our local fnm with this deck like if they advertise it as like ready for your F and M type thing, then I think it, it has a lot of potential to be like Ooh. a really important thing for the for the market to get people to start playing standard locally. Like maybe even something like best player with a dual deck. I mean challenger deck, I guess best record. Yeah, you could do something like that. Just just get you got to get people to come uh, come to F and M and getting kids with these decks that they're not going to lose every round because that's going to that's something that can eliminate people from coming to i think uh that that ready for fnm on the package or something like you're saying is a really good idea actually you got me thinking uh, i use i wrote an article series called uh fnm hero 
this was a, a few years back, and the whole article series was about me taking an event deck and trying to play F and M and cash enough to like upgrade the event deck, right? And um, thinking back on that experience, I think that having a deck like this, uh, which was better, like the the event deck I got was the Birthing Pod one, and it had like I don't know one or two Birthing Pods in it, and it wasn't very good, uh, you know, and, and the fact that I was just, I've been a player for so long, of course, I I was able to, like, you know, get through that, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think it could be a good a good tool. Like you're saying, too, uh, KYT, like, if you want to tell one of your friends, play Magic with me, how do they start? You know what I mean? What do they, you have a standard deck, you know, how do you make it relevant to them you know if you buy a dual deck like what are they going to do then you guys will play the dual deck and then they're like i like this what's the next step well you got to buy a collection (laughs) or you gotta you know what you know for sure um i there could be different ideas with this um depends how they the quality of what they come out but like i don't do they have to be concerned about what the cards are actually worth right now They, they don't actually care do they like they can just put in a bunch of failed pushes in there uh any like uh they they can't just like jam a bunch of rares they know are expensive in there because consumer confidence kind of stuff but they they also can't really acknowledge the secondary market too much without it being getting a little funky so i think the, they'll just find a good balance they've always actually done a pretty good job at not jamming like 50 dollar cards in these things or or like crippling the price of a card. And even if it is like crippling the price of an uncommon, I think it's totally fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's what you want as a, as someone who's making these cards. I think you guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, just like say they did this now, right? If they would obviously in their four set, they should have mono red and team energy. Right. And it says that they'll put at least two mythic rares. In, in that uh, in that I'm just going to call it an event deck because I, I don't feel like calling it Chandra deck. They would put two mythic rares, right? So what are they going to pick? They have Hazaret or Chandra <laughs> or Torrential Gearhulk. Like those are the only three mythic rares that appear in those two uh, decklists for the most part. Like you're just going to hammer the price of a lot of the expensive cards in these sets. In which case, then opening packs becomes not a worthwhile venture. So I mean, I literally only see this as them stealing money out of the LGS's secondary market and then telling the LGS, like, hey, keep your doors open and let people play at your store, even though, like, they're going to kind of be buying cards from us now instead of you because that's the way we make money. It's just, uh, it's weird. Like, if the deck is already cheap, there's no reason to make this. This product doesn't make any sense. Like, your guys' arguments for, like, oh, Blue White Approach is already pretty cheap, so they could just make it. It's like, yeah, or you could just, like, go buy blue white approach right so um like your your lgs could just set that product up if it's already 30 dollars, and you could buy it from them or maybe it's 50 um or you have like a less you know you have a powered down version of it so i just i don't either these decks are very good and it, it slaughters the price of cards or these decks are terrible and it's completely irrelevant like i, I don't see where there's a a happy medium but but uh, new players don't know like what blue white approach is you know what i mean and and not a lot of uh not a lot of stores set up these decks where they could just buy blue white approach or something like that you know it's this is an easy package something that a new player can buy 
so I think that that's a, you know, that's a positive for it. And I do, I hear what you're saying about the secondary market, but you know, there's a balancing act that has to happen. I mean, in the event, in the modern event deck, they had an Elspeth in there. Yeah, it was seventy five dollars though. Yeah, they had a no, but the, was that the MSRP? I thought the MSRP yeah. was thirty five. No, it was seventy five. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but they had like a. I'm gonna fact check you right now. We're doing it live. <laughs> All right, do it live. I think they had a sort of feast and famine in there too, or something. Let me see. See if oh, I can boy. pull it. Up. Oh my god! Did anyone ever play with a modern event deck? I just remember them being eighty dollars in Canada. Oh, I mean, I'm sure they were eighty dollars, but I don't think that was the MSRP. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you look at the MSRP versus like what things really sell for, this you know, no MSRP seventy four ninety nine American. Okay. Wow, you know that was uh, that's very high for that deck. Um, so. Yeah, because it had a bunch of expensive cards in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, $30 for a standard deck is real cheap. I agree. $75 for a modern, modern deck is also cheap, but they built it using a lot of like uncommons and commons. Like they picked black white tokens, for example, right? So it's like right. lingering souls and like raise the alarm and intangible virtue or like cards you can afford to just reprint. It's, it's fine. But uh, standard, I, I would just, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, what standard looks like uh, next year when they do this, but uh, it says they're looking at the, the PT results and whatever to, to grab these decks. So. Mono Red or Teamer should be fe- featured. I don't see those two decks going away by April. <laughs> I mean, unless the band hammer's coming. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, put, they'll put some sweet cards in there and then ban them. <laughs> I mean, they did that with Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, I know. And then you could only play that deck in its assembly. That was funny. Oh, yeah. Didn't we already have this in Standard? We did have these Standard event decks, right? We did, yeah. Yeah, and they were, they were terrible. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the Birthing Pod deck. Oh, that was a standard one? Oh, I just, yeah. I, I forgot. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't listening. That was, that was sweet value. <laughs> oh, no, I forgot that, um, that that one was painted as a standard event deck and not a modern event. I don't even remember this stuff. You don't? It was, yeah, it it was so- Verdant, that one had Verdant Catacombs in it too, right? Uh, I think it had the black-green uh, land, but it wasn't a Verdant Catacombs. It was like the... The Overgrown Tomb or something? No, it was like the one that comes in play untapped if you have like a forest or a swamp. I think it had two of those. Woodland Cemetery. Yeah, Woodland Cemetery. Thank you. Fair enough. I wish I could find it, but it's like not worth looking for right now. <laughs> so why are the three of us more optimistic about this if, if, if it's been done before? Right? There you go. <laughs> I'm, stumped, I'm stumped now on my own. I have to look at the old necklace of this, like how bad it was. And like, if they're making this way more competitive, which is like Gavin's paragraph in the article makes it sound like, um, like, like, hey, everybody, Gavin Verhey here, the, the product archetype of challenger decks. Um, with challenger decks, R&D is bringing the top strategies of standard right to your local game store shelf or play design team full of seasoned pros. Build these decks by looking at popular and successful Pro Tour and Grand Prix standard decks. And we didn't pull many punches. Many. They are intended to be very, very strong and feature many rares as well as at least two mythic rares. At least. So that means are, there are, could be more, right? Are we, are we seeing Heart of Kieran in, in one of these uh, bad boys? I, I don't know. Or, here's, here's why I'm optimistic is because uh, Wizards, they've been reprinting like a mug, man. You know, they, like, look at these reprint sets and look at the stuff that they're printing. And I, I feel like they kind of, 
with Modern Masters 3, I feel like they really just took the gloves off, right? Uh, you know, and, and pr- printing things that we did not expect them to print again. And uh, I think really they've, they've taken an aggressive stance toward reprinting. And I think that um, we see that in Modern Masters 3 and Iconic Masters. I think we're going to see more of that in this, uh, in this event deck. Ch- no, Challenger. Deck. Yeah, Challenger. Oh. Comedy the deck. challenger deck don't you feel that this kind of like undermines the the draft scene though like in a way where like drafters are expected to pay in canada like five dollars a pack plus like for another whatever a couple dollars sometimes for en- entry fee into the tournament so there's prize on top and it's like when you're just like devaluing the cards in the set like that much it it seems i mean maybe they just never print cards that are currently um i guess being drafted in these decks they're always like looking way back so that, that kind of helps them but i mean your your collection just gets hammered every four months probably right where they're like you're like okay sweet like this card seems pretty good it's like six dollar rare i'm gonna pick up a bunch of them so that you know when the next set rotates these can go to 10 and i can actually trade into something useful and Monty's like no gotcha 50 now stupid well, well, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, uh, let's do a little thought experiment, okay? Because uh, I don't know if I'm right here, but let's just think about it for a second. Now, let's say that there's a, uh, a rare or a mythic that's really expensive, right? And then they're in these event decks. Well, the reason why it's expensive is because of supply and uh, the pressure on that card, right? If the pressure's relieved, then that card will go down in price. Uh, but what that does is make room in the set for other cards to go up in price. So like if, if other cards are, you know, not up in price because this other card is really high, if you see a price drop, then typically those other cards will creep up because they're not in the event deck and they're still being played. And then you have situations like the Hazaret situation, right? Uh, when Hazaret first came out, uh, she was not being played. And I mean, she was seeing fringe play. Like you can see like, okay, like a little bit of budding, like, okay, this is going to have some potential, but like, I could see stuff like that where like there's stuff in the event deck. Okay. Obviously it brought the price down, but then the meta, the meta shifts or like someone discovers this card is actually really good. And then it just skyrockets, you know? So you're still going to have those dynamics. I think, I don't think the event deck will uh, suppress the value. Any cards that it does reprint. Yeah. It's just going to crush them, but it can't reprint every card. Right? No, but I mean, if you have like a made ish set or anything close to it, like that set just becomes complete trash immediately, right? Because like the only good card in it is Voice of Resurgence, right? Yeah. And the set, that's it. The set's dead. <laughs> you want to just burn the boxes for for heat. I, I think it just keeps people from holding on to stuff, right? Like you're talking about these drafters and this kind of stuff. Hey, man, after you're done with the draft, cash your stuff in, man. Don't hold on to that stuff because you know, like who knows what next season's you challenger deck is going to have. Value your cards past the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. We'll see. I, I mean, if it if it drives people to play more standard in tournaments, it's probably worth the trade off. But uh, I'm not sure that uh, deck accessibility is the reason why standard attendance is low. So, mm, ooh, shots ooh. fired. <laughs> sucks, anyways. <laughs> right? Are you listening? Are you listening, wizards? <laughs> They're not listening anymore. <laughs> I think uh, sadly we failed in our mission. We, we had to like get uh, John's <laughs> money strategy because Rob was baiting him into it with his. Uh... I try to avoid it seriously, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry, Andrew. 
Forgive me, Andrew. Sorry. <laughs> Rob, Rob baiting him into the talk, man. Rob, how could you? But uh, good points. <laughs> good points by Rob. Uh, moving on, we'll, we'll have John, we'll have you on for, for this other segment. Um, while sweating, Kale, Tom- I forgot this topic uh, while we were doing the GP, while sweating, Kale Thompson on the stream. Of course, people commented on the fact that uh, if you go to the Twitch library archive of, of Magic, twitch.tv slash magic, you're going to see GP New Jersey. Uh, it's final video at like 1K views. GP New, uh, sorry, GP, yeah, GP 1K. Uh, I think there's some vid- videos with 9K, actually. But significantly, I think overall, was significantly lower than GP OKC, Oklahoma City, um, where I'm seeing videos of like 20K, 25K. So significantly more viewers uh, on Constructed. I think we've tackled this topic before where uh, we don't know how to make Sealed more interesting, but I was commenting to Andy, it's a problem, not really a problem, but it's a thing I've I've noticed ever since... um, Stream when they ever when they started streaming these things, whether it be uh, Wizards or SCG, we're in the finals. We're seeing and the chats talking about it, where you're seeing people behind, uh, where you're seeing all these empty chairs, and then you're seeing people pick up chairs. You're seeing like uh, some other dude like pick up garbage in the back, and it just makes the whole finals thing seem less prestigious and like less important than it than it actually is, and. I'm not like people are, are in the chat. We're like, oh, they should book a room. Um, it just looks, but I don't know how you can keep people interested. We're like, you're in the finals of a, the most important tournament, and there's just like probably Andy somewhere to the side watching, and like and all, and all these other uh, esports was uh, he's trying to make this. You know, there's always like this this large audience. I don't know. I don't think we're ever gonna get to that point, right, Andy? <laughs> Based on how they schedule it. Yeah, so what I think they need to do is like, so it's pretty cool in the early stages of a Grand Prix or day one and two of a Grand Prix is like the background of all these people. You see like, wow, this is a convention. This is a, this is an event, like outside of just a tournament. But uh, as the day winds down, they gotta they gotta put a backdrop down or something because watching watching all these judges like sadly stack chairs <laughs> they're like this is not in my pay grade as they're stacking chair after chair folding cloths like what am i doing here <laughs> a booster box or whatever they get now but um yeah they need to do a backdrop and the, the reason the limited is is so tough is i've always thought this is that in constructed you can root for a player and a deck like you really want your deck to win the deck that you think is a great deck to win because you want to feel super smart but um, in limited, you, it, you can only really root for players. So like when, when the stars, like when the the players left, aren't just all known players. You're, people are less interested in watching. That, that makes sense. I, you, you just reminded me of uh, an SCG, and some of the SCGs are GPS. Uh, there were like because there were no one there, the commentators actually had to whisper because apparently the players could hear them. They're like, hey, so he made... It's like, wow, there's just like nobody there. That's why there's nobody in the room but them and, and the players that are left and like their friend, Andy. That's just I, 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 rem- I actually remember tournaments where they're like, all right, we got to quiet down here. It's just <laughs> us and uh, these guys in their car. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, the the like a limited day two takes longer than a standard day two, right? Because usually like the rounds go at the same time, but you just have an extra half an hour each for each draft and then another half hour for, for top eight draft for it to be completed. So you're just like tacking on an extra hour and a half to two hours to the day. And like people just don't want to be in the event site until 7 p.m. when they have a seven or eight hour like drive home where they have to catch a flight. So I'm not surprised that people are leaving. And then for like the low, um, like watching online, there's just nothing to take away from a limited GP. So if you don't have a vested interest in watching the players, there's not a lot to gain for the most part in watching the matches play out, especially this late in the format. Like if this was right before the PT, I would, and I was cute, I would watch it because I'd want to know like, okay, you know, how did this red black deck play out against this red white deck to like just help inform um my drafting uh since i would still be like kind of new to the format but now like we know like how the decks kind of play out against each other like kelvin chu both of this deck is like a all merfolk like 17 creatures and like five or six river heralds boon it's like yeah cool <laughs> this deck probably went 3060 like it's not we're not you know no one's surprised we're not learning anything from that anymore so when there's no takeaway from the event uh people don't really have a reason to to tune into it. Um, and for standard, that's almost never the case, unless standard format is, like, truly uh, broken. And I think it's bad, uh, but not broken uh, currently. Like, there's excessive amounts of teamer, but every once in a while there's a glimmer of hope with a new deck that pops up. <laughs> there's a glimmer of genius every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, someone's, someone's doing something different. I, I heard Sultai was picking up theme in standard. Um, I haven't really been paying attention to standard though, since like online it's there's, there's nothing going on either, nothing in real life. So I just kind of sold all my standard cards and been playing some modern, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I got to keep my collection stable until <laughs> the new set comes out. <laughs> I think that's a good point about like uh, the fact that people don't have anything invested in the tournaments. Actually, something that Hearthstone does is uh, they offer you packs uh, based on, like, you pick someone who you think is going to win, and then, like, each game that they win, you get packs. So, like, it, I think it, it compels people to, like, watch because they're like, oh, man, how many packs am I going to get? And so I'm not saying that Magic should give out packs, but there should be something to compel people to watch that stuff if they want it to be, um, like, co- kind of like an eSport. I don't think they should, like, try to force eSport. But I think they can make it more of an event. I think they can, they can do whatever they want, right? If you look at the Hall of Fame like induction ceremony, they go all out for that. They do a lot of stuff for that, and, and it feels special. It feels important. And I feel like they can do that with the tournaments. They just have to try. And they don't have to follow the esports thing. Like, forget about that. Just be awesome. Just do something cool that people want to watch. And so I think they've, they've come a long way in their commentary. Commentary is getting better from, like, way back when. And, you know, they're taking steps, but I think they really need to, they're, they're lacking in a big way on watchability. Like I have a bunch of different streamers in my Twitch and when there's a big magic tournament going on, there's maybe like five or 6,000 watchers of that tournament. And then like Kalento is, has like 9,000 watchers and he's like streaming Hearthstone in his apartment, you know? (laughs) So it's like, okay, you know, what can we learn here? (laughs) 
Well, are, are, have you seen, have you been uh, at a Hearthstone event, John, or have you seen the crowd? Is it, how big is it? Do you get a sense of how big the live audience is? Well, that's what, that's what happens, man. It's all dark, and, like, the only stuff you see is you see, like, the front while they're walking up to the, to the place to play, and it's, like, very controlled of what you see, and I think that's what people are talking about. Like, if you're looking at the finals of a Magic tournament, you see people picking up chairs or trading in the background or something, you know, randoms, you know, eating nachos or something, you know. It's not the same as if you're watching Hearthstone, and they're very controlled about their camera angles, like what you're seeing, you know, the tension. They, they're, they're telling a story. They're building it, you know. And I think you lose all that control when you're just, like, randomly cutting to what, whatever, you know. So, yeah, I've watched a lot of Hearthstone. I, I, I like watching, uh, you know, their tournaments and stuff like that. And so, yeah, the, the the controlled environment is something that they do for the pro tour, right? Like, uh, so at the pro tour, you see it's like it's all dark, like it's all focused and centered, and you never get a sense of the crowd or anything. But they just like build up the the tension or the, like the importance of the match, the implications for all these players, people likes pro level and stuff like that. Uh, with with the GP, it's a little bit harder because you get you're trying to sell to these uh, like pretty casual players to come out to it as like a convention type thing as well so that's prob that's the only reason i can really think of that they would have like the background showing that there's just like these like thousands of people who aren't even necessarily playing magic so maybe that's a reason that they like to to have that on the stream is to let people know that it's like a place to hang out it's a, an event to see it's something to see not just necessarily like you go to play in the main event yeah, but like interview these casuals then, you know, fill that space with like interviews or, you know, video of the cosplayers or like side events or like, you know, the food that people are eating. That's one of the most awesome things about a magic tournament. You go to a new city, you're eating at all these places with your friends, like, you know, show that kind of stuff because that's the stuff that I guess they want to communicate, not just oh, look, at you can sit in this chair where, like, nobody else is around, you know, or, you know, that doesn't, I don't think that communicates, like, what they're trying to communicate. I'm not trying to be hard on them, you know, I, whatever, you know, they do what they do. And I think, I just feel like they're complacent, right? Because they have the best game ever. And so they're just like, we have the best game. What are you going to do? Not play it, you know? And it's just like, come on, guys, try harder because, like, <laughs> Not only do you have the best game, but you could, like, be killing it here, man. Like, come on. Don't rest on your laurels, man. Yeah, but Medina, they have the best game to play. They do not have the best game to watch. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, uh, I'm not even, I, I don't even know how to make commentary more engaging. It's just, like, a lot of their crowd is, like, doesn't want to sit and watch something intensely for an extended period of time, right? Like, I just don't have time in my weekend to be like, okay, I'm going to do nothing else, and I'm just going to watch these two random people play, like, mediocre sealed decks against each other in the seventh round (laughs) because I want to try and learn something. It's, like, uh, it's just way easier to just have it on in the background and, like, loosely pay attention, and maybe you'll, like, dive in if commentary makes it seem like there's a, a turn that's like very interesting, like, Oh, how is Mike Sigrist or Huey like going to get out of this pickle type of thing? You're like, it's like, Oh, he has a shot. Like, Oh, he's put himself in like a four. You're like, okay, 
I'm going to pay attention now. It seems like he's got himself into an interesting predicament. I would like to see how this one resolves live. But for the most part, like I just, I don't care about the developing or uh, like developing stages of the game. Cause it like, doesn't really matter to watch like land, 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 two drop, land, two drop, attack, block, land, three drop, land, three drop, attack, block, land, two drop, two drop, land, four drop, land, five drop, go. And it's like, Okay, <laughs> let me know when something interesting is going to happen here, right? And that's difficult. We're like a lot of sports, um, something interesting can happen uh, with a lot more frequency, I guess. And maybe that's why people like watching stuff like Legacy um, a lot more uh, online than they do stuff like limited tournaments because like Legacy, like turn one or like turn 0.5 actually matters, right? Like there's some interesting decisions going on there. We're in limited. Turns one through four are usually very scripted unless you're a novice. Um, there's not a lot of thinking going on in those turns, and it's just like a lot of it's a lot of wasted space, I guess. So yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to know how to make it better, but I have no good ideas in this area. <laughs> I feel like they're they have a handicap that's difficult to overcome. Especially for limited. I do love playing it. So don't stop running tournaments, Watsi, just because people doesn't like, don't like watching them. <laughs> <laughs> I think, John, you, you brought up a lot of ideas, and Christian in the chat agrees, like places to eat, hotels, et cetera, even just showing more of what uh, it looks like, the center that could convince your players to have that co- uh, confidence to go, and that this might be a good opportunity for CFB to do that next year because they do control... Uh, all the GPs and maybe yeah, maybe they just fly in early at one of these things and and film these these food segments like one of them eating at the food and they they can just intersperse the the footage, uh, the game footage with this type of interesting stuff. Uh, what do you think about that, John? I think that's a great idea. I think they need to prepare more ahead of time for the kind of stuff that they're going to be cutting to, especially like if it's a really you know. Um, a really dry event or something that people are not going to be really watching or tuning into. There's a lot of things you can do to make it more interesting. You know, Um, it just depends. It just depends on how much effort and how much money they want to put into it, you know? Um, But, but yeah, I think one of the things that most interesting to me, and I think for most people, like for, for players who are super serious about the game and, and are on the pro level, I think they really want to watch the plays. They want to understand what's happening. If if Wizards is trying to appeal to kind of the average Joe to come to these GPs, then you have to talk about things that the average Joe wants to hear about, you know, the things they want to see. Um, I think another cool thing at GPs is just those books you get to go through at the vendors, you know? Like, they have these books you can go through and buy cards for, like, 50 cents or whatever for your cube. And, like, I know all my friends like doing that. So, like, showing that kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about magic finance or anything like that. I'm just saying... Like all those different areas that the GP is uh, the GP experience is about, you know, um, highlight that stuff and and the humans who are involved, you know, the people like tell us their stories, you know, and and uh, I think that's why people like so much that what's that um, walking the planes, you know, where they like interview people and they're talking about their story and you kind of get to see them outside of the game a bit. Uh, then you're rooting for that person a little bit more if you feel like you know them or you like them as a person rather than just like, who's this guy? I don't know, some random, you know? (laughs) Great, great. Lots of good thoughts. And yeah, look, I don't, 
to me, ultimately, I'm not sure how much uh, they care. I, I just don't know if it's like CFB's incentive to, to do that or if it's like Watsi's incentive to do that, to, to grow the game. I, like they should both be uh, have incentive to, to improve the coverage, but so that if, if they think it helps people that watch on stream go to the, like the next one that's close to their place, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, let's move on to something else. Um, today, I just posted, we'll, we'll just skip to this, um, video series that uh, a quick, not, it hasn't been a series yet, I would say, but a bunch of videos that I had Alex Bianchi and Andy here make uh, between Corey Burkhardt's uh, Rix's control deck and Scape Shift. Um, all the videos are on the, our YouTube channel, Mana Deprived, with a special postmortem, uh, match postmortem in, in the First Strike Nation group. And it's just our first attempt at trying something um, that, I, I mean, we've seen that in the past. Like, Andy, you've mentioned how CFB have done it in the past. We've also mentioned, we've also seen it happen to SCG when they did the versus series on a more regular basis. I don't know if they still do them anymore. I haven't paid attention. Like where they have like BBD or, or Todd Anderson or Jerry on a somewhat like almost weekly basis. Uh, I don't think we still get that. I might be wrong. And, but the, the ones on CFB that you liked, Andy, like they, it was like a long time ago, right? Yeah. It was called uh, running the gauntlet. And uh, a lot of the time it was, uh, it was Owen doing it against uh, Huey. Or it was uh, LSV doing it against uh, Pat Cox, I think maybe, but it was just them uh, playing like a like a bunch of matches in a matchup to try and just kind of figure out the matchup a bit, or playing like one deck against a bunch of different decks to kind of see is this deck good, where does it fit in the metagame, and I, f- I just find it a lot like a better learning experience than someone just posting their. Uh, their standard league run through where they play against three decks that you'll never hear of, or you never expect to play at a tournament. And that it's just like, you're, you're creating like a more controlled environment. So like, you know what you're going to play against and stuff like that. But I think you're going to be able to extract more from it than you would five random modern decks on moto, because it's just a wide range of things. Like, I don't need to know how, how good my deck is against like this soul sisters variant that I happen to play against in my five, my five league match or five match league. I just don't think, I think maybe all these uh, places, even though I felt like the views were high for, for a lot of them, or they were popular, at least amongst the competitive players, is uh, it takes, actually they still do them. I'm seeing like Todd Anderson, Anderson versus Ross, top their depths versus Grixis Depth Shadow. So they, they're still doing that. I feel like maybe not as regular as I'm used to seeing, or maybe they're not just, they're just not by the player's that I, I like shots fired. <laughs> I don't think Jerry has done one in ages. He doesn't, he doesn't live in a run. Yeah, yeah. So they, they have to do it on set, I guess, which which ups the, the production value for sure. Actually, they're, they're still doing it regularly. I just haven't been following because it's mostly like the people that are still there and, and I'm hoping to see more Jerry. But it's, it's Brad, it's Ross, uh, Todd Anderson again. So they're still doing it. I think maybe CFB stopped because it does take more effort. It takes more than just one person to just jump in the queue. You have to have a second person. That person not only has to be reasonable, but they have to know reasonably good. They have to know the deck that you guys want to test and play and the show to the public. So um, really curious if uh, John, were you ever 
watching when you were somewhat competitive in your competitive days, these type of videos? Yeah, what I what I found most helpful about those videos is just the way that the pros think about the different uh, interactions in the match, you know. And I would always like um, like kind of put that against my own thinking. So like something's happening, I'm thinking something, they say something else, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I'm an idiot or a man. I didn't even I never thought of it that way, you know. And so I always love to match my thinking against somebody who I feel like is um, more advanced than me. They're thinking, you know, a lot of times in life, even in life, not only magic, but like anytime I want to do something, I always try to find the person doing it the best. And then I try to listen to them and like be a student of them, you know? And I think that's what these gauntlet videos do for you is like, you can be a student of people who, who you respect and feel like they're the best. And then you get to kind of sit in there and listen, you know, and watch and see how they, how they handle themselves. You know, I think that's how, like I got, um, I'm not saying I'm awesome at Hearthstone or anything, but I think I, I'm good at Hearthstone because I watch so much streaming uh, from these guys who play all the time. And like they're, they're thinking and they're, you know, as they're walking through things, it's like, oh yeah, I, I can see that. And so when I'm playing, I'm thinking the same way, you know, it's conditioning, so to speak. Um, how, how's the, I'm not familiar if, if there's a space of, or even if it's a giant space, is there, are you familiar with any like Hearthstone strategy website scene? Uh, or is it like, are you, is your world just like the Twitch streaming world? Uh, I, I feel like my world for, for Hearthstone is like Twitch streaming and YouTube videos, right? Um, not just like YouTube videos, like Disguised Toast, who just makes like kind of troll videos sometimes. But, um, but I'm talking about like, like playthrough videos. Um, I, I haven't, I looked for a lot of like strategy content and I don't, I feel like the medium just lends itself more to like recording it on video and a lot of, not a lot of them write articles. There's, there's a thing called the meta snapshot from, um, from a website that you can go look at and you can see all the tier decks, right? The tier one, tier two, and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I feel like the medium is more Twitch and that kind of thing. There's not a lot of writing involved. But is there like a, a site maybe that like let's say you want to pick up a new deck and you want to search up like a quick video guide on it is that is that available? Uh well Rob just posted in the in the chat it's Tempo Storm is what I'm talking about the um the meta snapshot. So if you want a new deck you go to Tempo Storm to look at the the meta snapshot. But in Hearthstone there's personalities that play certain decks, right? Like Fibonacci will be like your warrior guy, right? If you're a warrior, Fibonacci loves to play warrior, you know? Strife Kuro loves to play mage, you know? If you're a mage guy and you want like long, controlling mage matchups, watch Strife Kuro, you know? Firebat, you know, different, you know, different guys specialize in different classes. So typically you'll pick a deck and then go watch that guy like grind through his uh, situation, you know? I'm just trying to figure out like what's the best. Um, approach to video content and magic outside of like again like the typical league, typical draft. Um, like like in these Hearthstone places, like you're not they're not. It's not like you're making a deck. Are you net decking these guys? Yeah, a lot of times it is very net deck driven. So you'll be the the Tempo Storm. The meta snapshot is the net decks, right? You look at them, you and then typically you'll change like two or three cards for tech, right? There's like most decks have like two or three tech cards and whatever the meta is like giving you problems with, you'll, you'll tech out those cards, right? 
but coming back to magic, cause I don't, I don't want to make it a Hearthstone podcast, even though we want to like lean on them for like understanding. Um, I think that like a lot of what drives, you just kind of prove the point about what drives people to these videos is the personalities, right? You're saying like, how can I make better videos? It's not really about the better videos. Cause you just ignored all those other videos that were being made because they don't have the person. Right. So I think you have to, if you don't have the people to make those videos, you have to crack a different formula, right? You have to do something different, in my opinion. What that is, I don't know. I'd have to think about it, but, you know. <laughs> I think, like, if you look at what's popular from an audience perspective in Magic anyways, people who are entertaining are much more popular than people who are very good at Magic. And I can only think of one person that kind of, like, actually intersects those two and that's LSV. And I don't think like there's a lot of very good pros. They're just don't have that entertainment value that LSV has. And I think like if you, if I mean, not a lot of people are even that good enough to be in the same category. Right. Uh, so that's difficult finding that, that, uh, that group. Yeah. I agree with Andrew. I think Owen is pretty good too. Owen, like newer Owen, Owen, like six years ago, effort was a little bit unbearable. <laughs> but yeah, Owen, after he joined Beach Garden Oath, is is uh, is much better. But I still think he's behind LSV, not in uh, play skill, obviously, but just in like entertainment uh, value that goes along with the the stream. I guess like if you took Owen and Kenji and made a baby, that that's kind of LSV <laughs> in the way that <laughs> in what's kind of going on there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I got. I'm not good enough or entertaining enough to, to do that. So like, I, I'm definitely out of the picture <laughs> for making that kind of content. And I, most people are not, are definitely not good enough. And then the people that are, are usually not entertaining enough. So um, yeah, I don't know. Magic's in a, in a little bit of a predicament there. I'm not sure exactly how to go around that. Maybe you just, you know, you don't need to be good enough. You just need to be entertaining enough. That seems to be popular, but it's not something that uh, me personally, I, I'm interested in watching. I also want to get uh, some knowledge out of it. Or you could open booster boxes. That seems pretty popular. I'll open them. If, 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 if Sal sends them to me, I'll open them. No, Vince used to do a lot of streaming and he said by far um, box cracking was like the most popular thing he did on his stream. Yeah, no uh, doubt. No doubt. It's, it's crazy. I don't know what's going on. You know, it's funny. I laugh about it, but <laughs> I do watch them. And be like, oh, look, I got a five. Well, I don't need to watch this guy open 36 packs now. <laughs> I don't know, John. No, I've seen people fail at that too, though. But I would like, man, if it was possible, John, it would be an interesting experiment to have you open like a pack of Unstable every day and see if those beat your vlogs from the past. <laughs> oh, they'll beat my vlogs, no, no doubt, man. People would rather watch me open a pack of Unstable than talk about my life, you know? <laughs> it's just like I could be pouring my heart out, telling all of my wisdom or like per perceived wisdom or whatever. And they don't care, man. But opening a pack of magic cards, that's a big deal, you know? Uh, look, for me, man, I used to, not just unboxings, I used to not understand reaction videos. Uh, and why how popular they were until i started watching them right like and i realized why like i i started and i don't know if it's 
the, the reasoning people are saying uh it's because like you want to like sometimes like you're really hyped about a certain part of a video or a movie and you want to see if like some other person you're just curious will react the same way and yeah i just i just realized like those videos are a lot more um they deserve to be popular because like I guess as humans, we, we do like, we do enjoy sharing stuff with like our friends and family and seeing how they would react to certain something. And if you don't have that, hey, the next best thing is this random dude on the internet watching the same video. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the consummation of, uh, of enjoyment, right? The way that you enjoy something is usually you share it with somebody else, you know? So th- that's why like, that's why we have friends and stuff like that, because part of enjoying it is sharing it. You know, like imagine if you enjoyed something, but you could never tell anybody about it or you could never share it like that would think about that. That would like it would be really difficult to do that. It would like kind of like it would um, it would like injure you psychologically. You know, I think there's a lot of people that live their lives like that, Medina. <laughs> yeah, and it's not good for them. Just share Maybe. it, man. <laughs> the society we have. <laughs> Oh man, we should go into one of our deep philosophical. No, 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 just kidding, just kidding, Andrew. Just calm down. Don't, don't stop the video. We're good. We're just kidding. Back to magic. <laughs> oh yeah, it wasn't. It, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Andrew, um, Andrew Wagner. Uh, but then there was someone in the nation and that wasn't Andrew that uh, said like, "Oh, Medina's got a smooth voice, great voice, but man." can't take finance advice on my favorite podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that guy no i, I i'm i'm cool i'm cool with both those guys i mean I, I like to tease and stuff but i'm cool though i'm cool with the whole nation i appreciate you guys bringing me on i think this is great i mean if you ever want me to leave just let me know i'm totally fine with that too you know <laughs> okay, the, the people will let you know they'll ride it <laughs> oh, they'll, they'll burn the place down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they'll use all those uh, challenger decks <laughs> Today on First Strike, we're going to talk about Hearthstone and Magic Finance. <laughs> Go ahead and rage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Part of the challenge is, is uh, to back back to like how to make uh, good videos. Like you're right, you're right. You're like you you just got me in, um, like the the same situation where where I'm trying to imagine people in the situation I'm in, where I'm just like mainly watching because of jerry not because he's like incredibly entertaining uh which he can be but because i have so much respect for his knowledge and for how he breaks down things that he's like the main reason that i was drawn to, to those videos and i'm sure the same reason why uh, andy you were watching like owen or, or lsv or huey um it's because like you either res- like they don't have to necessarily be entertaining they just have to be like worthwhile to watch whether it is entertaining or uh educational and and for me you know, most of the time it's educational. I think you're probably at the point in your magic career where you're not interested in watching someone who's misplaying, right? Like that's in the beginning, you're like, it's fine, right? Oh, oh, they make mistakes too. I make mistakes. Cool. We're, we're all learning together. But now it's just like, if someone's just like throwing away games, I have, I'm not, I can't deal with that. <laughs> we should do, we should do a reaction video of Rob watching people misplay. <laughs> I would very quickly. You'd have like Alex Bianchi doing commentary over commentary situation. I'd have an I'd have an eighteen month ban on my hands real fast. <laughs> uh, much love, man. Much love, <laughs> Carl. Uh, I actually have, I have a question for you. Since since you're like you know super deep into the GP scene, running all these Canadian GPs and stuff, why is it that 
um, the players playing in the event have to front all the costs for all the frills that the vendor gets to bring to pull in all the other thousand people that aren't playing in the main event that come around and just loiter in the event hall while the event's going on, right? Oh, you mean like why? Like, are you like why do I have to pay hundred dollars to go to a GP so that like eight other people can come in and look at art while I'm like you know battling away crappy Ixalan format and they got in for free getting all the cards signed and I'd never have time to do any of that garbage. Like, <laughs> why don't you charge them? Charge them twenty dollars to come in and get their cards signed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never thought about it this way, and and, and I'll definitely a lot of people, uh, even our open series, will ask about entrance fee. And I've talked about like when promoting the, the different GPs. I don't know how many GPs have promoted on this show where I talk about yeah, you just come in for free. It's unlike any other convention. Get their thing signed. But I mean, it's a good point. Like, should we charge them? Like. Because I mean, there are people are trying to check things out. The, the way I look at it is that's one of the reasons why the cost of events has gone up. Like, so you have to pay the judges. Cool, I'm okay with that, right? Like, event or GP fees went from like fifty to sixty or seventy to do that. But then they started like, oh, GPs are a convention, and they get the cosplayers in. They fly in a whole bunch of sweet uh, artists, and they do a bunch of other stuff, and have like these insane side event, uh, you know, prize pools and, and things like that. And it's like, okay. So I'm 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 in the main event. <laughs> like you, you're not in the main event. You didn't pay anything. You get, but you get to benefit uh, for all that stuff. So from my perspective, as being someone that wants to play main events at a more reasonable price, like I would rather just cut all that garbage, you know, right out. Like I'm not, I'm the one paying, and that's not uh, something that I'm actually benefiting from, right? Um, so it's 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 very it's interesting that uh, you know. That they've been able to pull the wool over the competitive players' eyes and just gouge them for another thirty dollars or whatever, while everyone else is reaping the benefits of that. I've never, man. I mean, that's a good question. Um, I'll never be part. Well, I wouldn't say never, but it's unlikely <laughs> that I'll be part of a, a GP planning process anytime soon, unless CFE plans to partner with Face for for any of the Toronto ones. Um, but yeah, like. It's just the precedent that that's been set, and people are used to it. And and yeah, now now they're getting more expensive, and there's all these different co- cosplayers, and and every GP now tries to get at least one or two heavy hitters when it comes to artists to be there to sign stuff. And and, and that's a good point. Um, yeah, I actually, mm, but for me, I just don't feel like I would. Would I like what artist is so popular? Which cosplayer is so popular that I would actually pay to get in there you go then don't invite them like if you're not willing to pay uh, the uh, service, sure. then you shouldn't have the service <laughs> i just don't feel like i would be able to like I, like cosplayers have fans artists have fans like especially some of them have are, are huge have huge star power so i'm not saying that i just feel like sometimes- it's a different story than a lot of other people sure i agree sorry like John Avon is is a right. different kind of artist than other I, artists. Yes, I think due to time availability and costs, uh, depending on where this artist is and and how to compensate them, it might be a challenge. Like like GPs in the past, like they couldn't afford a lot of organizers couldn't afford the the top guys or girls, and they would get some a bunch of local artists that nobody really knew. Like they did like a common of the latest set, right? And it's like who. 
as John and I would like to say a lot in our private conversation, who cares? And so it, I would feel ashamed to have to, as the social media guy, to come up with a poster of like unknown artists and cosplayers and say like, hey, pay 20 bucks entrance fee to come in. It would be a little awkward for me. No, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't charge them $20 to come in and see the guy that lives down the street. You would charge them $20 so that you can appropriately pay someone overseas to come like right, right. or John Avon or Chris Ron or whatever, like some big name so that you could fly them in there and pay them appropriately. But like the people that are getting the benefit of being able to see that artist for free and get all their stuff signed should probably be the one that's paying the money and not the people who don't have time to like line up and talk to the artist at all, <laughs> which all the people that are paying for the artist to be there, for example. You could so, even uh, you could even split it up. Like you could uh, put the artist in one area, the artist alley, right? Put the vendors over here, you know, and put the side events here, and then just be like, all right, you want like access to everything? It's like twenty bucks. You want artists? It's five. You know, it's like you know, yeah, like a con, just like a con is set up, right. right? Like you have areas and you have event badges and, and whatever. You get, you get access badge. based on that badge. Yeah, yeah that, that was a great suggestion. Whoever suggested that in the YouTube chat, it's probably Andy. Was it you, Andy? <laughs> it was a some really smart guy. <laughs> what happened? Andy's resorted to putting chat messages because he can't talk on the cast. Come on, guys, we're failing, Andy. <laughs> I was joking that it was Andy, but it was him. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Elena's podcast. Um, oh, and- who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, who cares? Uh, Andy, what, what do you think about all this? Like, do you see a world where, where we change that model? Well, so so the way I see it is like so from Wizards of the Coast perspective, it uh, it could be a pretty complicated thing to actually gauge how 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 why so many people are coming for the artists, like how many people are coming for X, how many people are coming for Y, and how to price it appropriately for those people. When you could do all the research to that, you could do all the like the marketing research into that, or you could just charge uh, us competitive players twenty twenty extra dollars and we'll pay for it every goddamn time. <laughs> I mean, you, you just have it as an option, Andy, right? Where even the, the competitive people have like a plus $20, you now have access to like side events and, and event, uh, or sorry, and, and artists, right? And like, you just need to do that twice to understand like, is, art, is having artists there a profitable venture or not, right? And like, it is when you force, you know, 1,700 people to pay $30 extra, but maybe it's not when you actually try and charge people that care. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's not about like this, the single thing, right? It's about the package. It's not like some people aren't going to like, like I don't go to a GP for the artist, but every once in a while I'll, I'll go over and I'll, I'll buy some prints and something like that. But if they were like, Oh, you have to pay $20 to go over there. There's not a chance I would go over there. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what the actual cost is. <laughs> you know what I mean? got a random number. Well, yeah, it's all random. We none of us have done the the research. It's not maybe really it's, maybe for us to do it. Ten dollars or something, right? Like, or maybe you have to buy something if you want to go. Like, you pay ten dollars to go in, but you get a ten dollar voucher that you can use to buy prints or something. Ooh, right? Wow! Like, there's ways to make it make sense so that you you don't feel like, oh man, I have to pay twenty dollars and I have to pay forty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the the side event people who come to play side events all day. That they're like, oh, I get these sweet value side events, but then to like charge them them extra for their value side events, maybe they're not coming as often. They're still getting a sweet deal, right? So usually you get a ten draft package for 150 bucks. If that package was 170 dollars, it's still a 30 dollar discount. It's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, 
No, no, I, I agree. There's just eventually they'll find they'll find a line and they'll accidentally cross in. There'll be like a little bit of a disaster on how many people choose to do something, and then we might get like a worse experience overall. I'm like I, I'm not smart enough to to figure all this out. Let's be honest here, but. Like they've got the formula down pat. I'll pay twenty dollars no matter what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they know which market is is forced to attend uh, if they want to try and get on the PT. And people have been overpaying for the privilege of trying to do that for a long time. <laughs> you know what's going to happen if we if we start talking about this? It's going to start out with like you guys pay less and these guys pay twenty. And then you give them like three years and then both people are going to be paying a hundred bucks to get in there. They're going to be like, Oh, we could actually charge these people. All right. Well, it's a hundred dollars for everyone. Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> that's, what's going to happen, man. Uh, congratulations. You played yourself. <laughs> they got us. Maybe yeah. then we'll have some real services at the event since the, the uh, CFB will just be literally rolling in money at that point. <laughs> They'll have like golden <laughs> chocolate fountains and stuff that you can like, Dip your tarmogoyce in to like <laughs> <laughs> foil tarmogoyce. <laughs> oh man, a lot, of, a lot of food for thought. Um, That's my rant for the week. Anyways, you're welcome, everyone. No, that was that was like based off of like the the video thing. <laughs> just like, hey, as someone that's uh, an insider in organizing GPs, here's here's this. Uh... <laughs> Felt like a good time to tilt. That's all. Crab sandwich. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how, how CFB organizes the Toronto ones. I, I'm sure they'll do a good job. They have so much experience, and the uh, people, at least the people, I think who will be involved, who have a lot of like pro tour experience. You anyway, know, they, they've got Marshall, they got LSV, they got like everyone that that's been on the PT uh, doing coverage and all that. I'm sure it's going to be really awesome. Um, yeah, back back to the video thing. If our listeners or watchers, viewers can can let us know, like what would make video content uh, not at least the stuff in the nation. I want it to be specifically educational. So, any ideas, any feedback off our first series would be much appreciated. No, shout out to Alex Bianchi and and Andy for for putting it together. Ultimately, I think uh, spo- uh, spoiler if you haven't watched it already. I think I think Titan Shift has a uh, sizable edge in the matchup against Grixis Control as actually Brian uh, like guessed that would be the case without much in terms uh, or at least Rob Rob or Brian uh, without much in terms of utility lands to stop uh, to fight back against Scapeshift because of of their mana base. Uh, Andy? Sometimes the better man wins. Or or the better man. (laughs) (laughs) Who won won the matchup, sorry? Uh, I was was victorious. And you were playing Scapeshift? I was playing Titan Shift, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it makes feels really close. Like, every single thing that my deck was doing was, was giving me an advantage. <laughs> did Alex have, like, crumbles in his board or anything like that? No, he did have Fulminator Surgical. Uh, yeah, so he's, he has to pay the same amount of mana, but cost two cards instead of one. Seems <laughs> like a sweet deal. <laughs> Um, we'll answer some some quick questions before we call it a show from from, from the chat. Aaron Barrett, uh, very very frequent uh, watcher of our live stream, wanted to know maybe Rob, Rob and Andy, what one card? We'll start with you, Andy. What one card in standard do you love? 
but never took off. Wow, that's uh, something I never, ever think of. <laughs> um, hmm, that's, that's okay. a good question. Actually, I actually have a good, pretty good answer. Wait, wait, before you give your answer, because I don't want to feel, I don't want people to feel like I'm retroactively just giving my point to make it sound like I'm, I have the same card as you. I, uh, I feel like the card Andy's going to pick is already being played in standard. Anyways, go ahead, go. All right. He just, my, my controversial pick is post ban Sahili Rai. <laughs> oh, I've actually uh, I have been this close on numerous occasions to playing Sahili Rai after the banning because it is a very powerful. It's like a pretty powerful card in the Teamer Energy strategy, where like it has all these come into play effects, and Ooh. like three mana Planeswalker is is still just powerful, almost no matter what it does. And this one has some utility. So I've been very close to, to trying that card. And I have, I've even played it. Like it's good with glory bringer. It's good with bristling Hydra. It's good with all of it, everything. So that's the card. Um, it feels weird because it was like super, like saying it was a cr- crazy card in standard because of the combo, but post rotation, that's a card I've really wanted to be, uh, to be good, but it's never really taken off. Was never good enough. That's how the Grixis Energy deck started, actually. It was trying to make it a Sahili shell that was good, so copying hostage takers and stuff like that. Oh, I never took off. Too, too, I, I, like, right. too tight. The main deck was too tight? We, we cut Sahili from the, the Grixis deck, and then the Grixis deck was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Rob? What was the one card? Aether Flux Reservoir. I don't uh, even remember what it does. <laughs> Excellent. It's a four mana artifact and it has like a storm gain a life and then you can pay 50 life to deal 50 damage to a target. So uh, I had incorrectly read the wording on Panharmonicon and the wording on Aetherflux Reservoir when they first came out. So when I started my PT uh, Honolulu testing, I was like, guys, I think I broke the format. <laughs> Because I thought that if you had a Panharmonicon and a Reservoir out, that like it was going to uh, Panharmonicon would also double the triggers. And I was like, with Whirr and like Herald of Kozilek and Foundry Inspector, I can just play infinite prophetic prisms and, and uh, metal spinner puzzle knots or whatever, and just like draw my entire deck for zero mana <laughs> and gain infinite life like real fast, like pretty reasonably consistent turn four kills, <laughs> and then. Uh, once someone was like, uh, Etherflux Reservoir says cast. And I was like, ah, see, that's why you don't proxy the cards with no text when you're testing. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a piece of paper that said Reservoir on it. <laughs> but, yeah, I've tried to, um, like, when this, the Blue-White SRAM deck came out, I tried to make that not terrible. And I tried a couple other shells, but I never really came up with a plan that works. I felt like... It was reasonably close when you had, like, the double foundry inspectors, but uh, it just, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it didn't click. There was, like, something missing. You needed some other piece of... You probably needed, like, a two-mana mana rock. That That's probably what it was actually missing. Like, not... Uh, what was that piece of garbage from Shadows? It was, like, came to play tapped and like, could only tap for a color of a card in your graveyard. Corrupted Courtyard? Something like that. Corrupted Graphstone. Corrupted Graphstone. Yeah. It's like it, that card, is, the deck just wants that card to be Felwar Stone. <laughs> it's not. 
<laughs> and like Harold was also colorless, even though it was blue red. So yeah, this, the card is like not not great. Anyways, yeah. So I, I I never never figured it out. Never figured out how to make that card work. And probably uh, we're not getting another artifact block before Kaladesh rotates. <laughs> I mean, I hope we're not. That would be a disaster. <laughs> Maybe Dominaria has the Thran, the Thran in it. And they're like artifacts are back again. <laughs> it's just a complete disaster. <laughs> Ooh. Hot take in the chat. Hot take on Sahili. Sahili is bad. By Derek Pite. Everything's bad, though. Like, that's just not. Very, it's very not hot bad. take. The card that is never. <laughs> card with no results is bad. <laughs> super, super hot take. Yeah, uh, I think because he, he used to play four color, and then when, when Cat got banned, he basically stopped winning magic games. So he has just a lot of pent up hate there. Okay. <laughs> Poor guy indeed. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention that we will be. Man, I guess we couldn't do it on our show. I mean, I guess we have to. I guess we might have to take a two. Did we take a two week break last year? I just realized like next week, next Monday I is Christmas Day, and then the week after is New Year's Day. I think we took Christmas off last week, but we did do. Like a either a New Year's Eve or an after. No, it wasn't New Year's Eve. I guess it was probably like an either a New Year's Day or January second. Or I, I don't know. We have uh, well, we have a spicy card that that's slated. I'll have to talk with Wizards about when I exactly want, but it's slated to be revealed January fourth, which is our spoiler, our first strike spoiler for uh, Rivals of Ixalan and or Rivals is it of Ixalan or in Ixalan? Okay, Rick's. And Rick's, anyways, will be... Uh, it's a sweet card. I think it's one of the sweetest, uh, potentially competitively playable cards we've had since Grimflare. I, I, I feel that way about this card that has potential to be special. Um, right? It just does, It's pretty unique, right? Ro- I, Ro- only Rob has seen it, but I think it's pretty unique and has a lot of potential. The card is definitely weird. I think that it's definitely worse than Grim Flayer. <laughs> Grim Flayer is a hard high bar. <laughs> it's way weirder than Grim Flayer. I can say for sure it's better than Pyramid of the Pantheon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of the bad ones we've had, I don't even remember. But uh, Grim Flayer. Was... Sick. What? Hollow One. We had Hollow One. Yeah, we, yeah, oh. yeah, we had some good ones. Um, Shoutouts to Rob Anderson. Again, every time I have to... Uh, talk about grim flare because once i showed him our exclusive spoiler he thought it was a bulk mythic uh right away and uh i mean clearly was nowhere close to a bulk mythic maybe it is now i don't know but nope nope (laughs) i think it just like people started playing with it on turn two like some guy or girl hit hit with it once and it was over they knew it was it was on this People keep incorrectly sliding two to four of them in in green black X decks. In modern, in modern, yeah. yeah. I think it's bad though. I think it's a bad card on average. Oh, he said, it, is it, it bulk? Under, it underperforms. It's not bulk. It underperforms. It does a really good Karmic Wave impression if you're on a budget though, so that, that's fine. Maybe it'll be in a challenger deck. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, um, you can find Medina 
John Medina at Medina makes game. What no S? Right. No S. Medina make game makes game. <laughs> I think you need to reserve the other version. Medina make game. Medina make game. It's not, but it's not that. It's makes game. <laughs> On Twitter, uh, for any uh, financial and successful advice, and also to check out the game that he's creating. Of course, the big dig. Uh, Rob, where can people find you on Twitter? It's no longer. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, what's my Twitter handle now? Oh, you mean probably anarchist MTG because I am a rebel. Yeah, and you can find Andy uh, Andy awkward on Twitter. Um, shouts to our first strike nation producers: Jonathan Good, Cal Smirchik, Jay Thomas Eaton. Uh, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Murchison, Derek Pite, who's in the chat. Shouts to you, uh, everyone, for making this show possible and making certain projects possible, including, again, I keep uh, plugging the video series that Andy and Alex made. Hopefully, you guys can check it out, have time, have any feedback, or even like in the First Strike Nation uh, Facebook group, uh, definitely vote for the next deck or two decks that you want to see. I think the most uh, voted for um, type of video was modern so if you guys have a, a modern deck you'd like to be featured and definitely we will try i think <clears throat> pitting two rogue decks isn't like really worth anyone's time to go through so uh if you want us to see you know some tier two versus tier one deck that would be something we would be looking to do and, and with that with uh the rest of the guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you've enjoyed any of the topics, enjoyed the show, uh, leave a YouTube thumbs up, and we'll see you uh, for in the next one. So, bye, guys.